the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Well, welcome to another wonderful edition of Vatican Insider. And, uh, you know, I say every week, I always have a really special guest, and you know what? It's true every week. Some of those guests are people I've met for the first time, others are friends. And today, I have with me a friend, Vicki Thorne from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Vicki is the founder of Project Rachel and the executive director of the National Office of Post-Abortion Reconciliation and Healing in Milwaukee. So, Vicki, welcome to Vatican Insider. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here, Joan. We have a lot to talk about today. Your life and your ministry is, is just so incredible. Vicki, let's start out by telling us about Project Rachel. The name, what inspired you to found this? Well, it goes back to when I was but a teenager in high school. And a friend of mine had an abortion arranged by her mom. It wasn't legal yet, but it was available. And she had gotten pregnant this summer. She was a year younger than I was. And the school we went to was a day school, boarding school. I was a day student. She was a boarder. And she had gotten to be like my little sister in the time she was there. And that summer, she got pregnant. And again, her mother arranged this abortion for her. And my friend just crashed and burned. And she told me what had happened. And she told me then something she hadn't told me before, which was she had already had a baby and placed it for adoption before she came to the school. And I think the reason her mother sent her to the school her mother had attended was to protect her. Because it turned out that her brother was the father of the second baby. My guess is he might have been the father of the first baby also. So wow. she was attempting. I never had a chance to ask her mother, but, you know, thinking sure. back on it. And my friend, we talked about this for years. Now, remember, I'm a teenager here, <laughs> you know. But she, she always said to me after we talked about the things she was experiencing, I can live with the adoption. I can't live with the abortion. And those words are etched in my heart to this day. Wow. And this ministry is because of her. Now, not that I set out to do it. Sure. Right? But as, as life unfolded, I got a degree in psychology. I, I met Bill. And I, I was um, working in the apartment industry at first, and then we, went to, to, we moved to Milwaukee. He was going to teach at Marquette. And, and we were going back in the summertime to Minnesota, and so I didn't want to take a job. And so I became involved in Birthright, which was one of the early supports oh, sure. for I women. Remember. Yeah, remember, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who were facing a crisis pregnancy because I thought, well, if I can make a difference for one woman, you know, I couldn't for my friend, but, you know, maybe I can for someone else. Well, we became friends with a cousin of Bill's who was the age of our parents. And he is very involved in the church. He, he wrote the first, the first um, Catholic encyclopedia. His wife was a very famous Catholic artist, Virginia Broderick. And we just got to know him. And the second summer we were back in Minnesota, I get a phone call from someone I don't know who's working in the diocese who's offering me a job that I didn't apply for, that I wasn't qualified for, and that I didn't want. <laughs> okay? And, but it was to implement one part of the pastoral plan of the bishops. And the bishops had issued a pastoral plan in 1975 following Roe v. Wade. And the whole pastoral plan talked about our need to talk and defend life from the moment of conception to natural death. We needed to get people involved in the legislative process, and that was the part they were offering me. And that, that's not my strong point, oh. all right? Um, the third was to care for pregnant women, and the fourth was to develop a ministry of healing for those who'd had abortions because the bishops knew the pain. They'd heard the confessions, but they didn't know what to do with them because women kept coming back and coming back and coming back, and it was clear that healing hadn't taken place. 
And so I, I took the job that had to do with legislation briefly. But if there's a vacuum in the church, you know how you get sucked into it. Yeah. And I became Respect Life Director, the first one for our, for our diocese. Oh. And I wanted to do this ministry. And at this point, Archbishop Weekland was my archbishop. I went to him. I said, I want to do this. He said, Aliki, I'll give you whatever money you need to do that. And this was really his blessing, and he was good to that. And it took me years to find enough speakers. It was seven years later. The ministry came together in six weeks based on bringing a priest from Rome, Father Bob Pharisee, you may remember him. Yeah. Um, he was going to be my sort of automatic confessor priest to talk about you know people sharing this story. We had a training. The archbishop was there. We had 60 priests. We had all of Catholic charities. I invaded the media. That night, the woman reporter called and said, Vicki, we're going to break the story tomorrow. Now, I hadn't told anybody there was a ministry coming. We were just training people. Oh. To this day, I believe it was Archbishop Weekland who told them because there were only three of us who knew. And two of us knew we didn't tell. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, we got Yeah. Anyway, they broke the story the next morning in the paper. I had media at my house all day. I had a priest I had imported from New Jersey who I never paid enough because I had four small children and two dogs. Sure. And he was my, you know, out the back door, in the front door, and let the TV people in. And that was the birth of the ministry. So this ministry has grown and so much, and, and but rapidly, like you just oh, said. Rapidly. I mean, that day, you now this is before social media. I mean, we need to focus right. this. This is 1984, all right? It went almost before the, internet. Yeah, it well, yeah. really was. Yeah, and and it went you know UPI and Associated Press. I mean all the old fashioned ways that yeah. it was spread. It was in Europe. I got letters back from Europe saying, "Tell us how to do this," and the need was so great. And the recognition of the need, uh, immediately other dioceses, because I'd been a Respect Life Director all those years, and those of us who were Respect Life Directors in our diocese had been talking about this. How do we do it? What does it look like? What do we need? You know, and nobody had any good answers. Finally, I had a means to do it. And but it the, the name is always Project Rachel, yeah. wherever. It, okay. Well, it, well in, in our country, it's Project Rachel. Okay. In other countries, they don't use that name. I think it's Rachel's Vineyard in Italy. No, Rachel's Italy. Vineyard is a totally different thing. Oh, it is? Yeah, totally okay. different. That's a one. Uh, that's an ex a retreat experience that was founded by Teresa Burke about ten years after Project oh. Rachel, and she'd come to conferences I had and stuff. So it's sort of a supplementary sort of thing. Project Rachel is the official outreach of the church in the U.S. Okay. Okay. At this point, the bishops oversee it. Um, I continue to be present if they need it, but I'm really sure. working on the international piece in that. Sure. You know, the name Project now, even in terms of other countries, doesn't make sense. Rachel comes from the Old Testament, from Jeremiah 31, 15, 17, and, and Rachel's mourning for her children who are no more, and God said, cease your cries, there's hope for your future. And that was the message of the ministry, was that God said, okay, there's yeah. hope. And so whenever we did anything that had the name, passage was always there so that people knew what what was the message you know what right. what's Jeremiah I don't know sure. but but there it was that there's hope for your future I do want to go to the part where you know you do travel a lot mm -hmm. and um, you travel the world you give lectures you've been to 20 some countries and so you have just said that you do help upon their request to set up the ministry in other countries how does that work is it easier in some countries than others? And do you sometimes work through or with the church? In all cases, well, most cases, it's, I'm always invited by somebody that's somehow associated with the church. All right. And in different countries, it'll take different, different faces sort of things. In Latin America, there's something called Proyecto Esperanza, which comes out of the Schenstatz. 
and that's kind of the, the ministry there in a couple countries. In other countries, they're putting together a bigger outreach in terms of this kind of diocesan-based mm-hmm. piece. Now, in second and third world countries, that's very difficult, though, because we don't have the kind of communication ability there that, that we have you know, in the States and, and in parts of Europe. You know, I can pick right. up a phone, I can right. go on the Internet, I can you know, find a website, I can do whatever. But so it, it really depends on the country and the vision. I've had bishops invite me, specifically one in Spain, one in, one in, um, in Peru, um, couple, you know, other countries. I've been in mainland China with a sister who brought me there behind the scenes. And we were in a, a seminary that's, you know, in accord with Rome with 300 young men. Wow. And it, this was interesting, this is a side note, but I said to the, to the rector, you know, we should have a mass of remembrance because these young men are probably here because somebody died in their family. This is the one-child policy business, all right? Oh, yes. So we did that. And my, my, my uh, translator, unfortunately, was not doing a good job, so I missed some of what was going on. But what happened was they asked the young men to pray aloud. I mean, uh, I thought it was, you know, written, but spontaneous prayer. Afterwards, the rector was in tears. He had no idea of the losses of these men in their wow. families. So praying for their mothers and fathers and of who course. wasn't there and their own loneliness. And, you know, there's interesting science, Joan, that the children who precede us in the womb, we carry cells from them. Our mothers give them to us during pregnancy. And we women carry cells from every child we ever conceive the rest of our lives. And if we have an abortion or a miscarriage, we carry more cells from those children. Motherhood's incurable. I don't care what your background is. This wow. is biology. Right? Fascinating. So these young men, if, if it was someone aborted before them, have biological knowledge that they carry inside of them of someone missing. You know, and then in other cases, probably mom told them or whatever, but, but that awareness of the universality of the wound, because we always do, well, it's only the, you know, it's just the West and it's not really there. The reality is that in Japan and Taiwan, Japan in particular, before Project Rachel was even a vision of anybody's mind in the 70s, they had an outreach for par- parents who had aborted their children. Really? Because I did they, not know that. Yes, and Taiwan has one too. Taiwan's is called Baby Spirit Programs. They have places to leave offerings because the belief is that if I have aborted my child, that child cannot continue the cycle of reincarnation. And their description is that the spirits turn ugly and create mischief in the family. Now, the mischief in the family is the same that we see. This is, this is parental grief, all right? Sure. But that's their description. It's universal. It's around the world. The, seeing the outcome of this loss of a child in a traumatic and unnatural fashion. Okay. Well, now, now Vicki, when, when you talk to uh, the women who've had an abortion, and perhaps you even talk to their husbands, um, is there a common denominator among all those that you talk to uh, and try and help? Do they all seem to express, uh, to have problems with self, self-esteem? Is there anger? Is there sadness? Is there something that is the common thread through every woman and perhaps the husband, the woman who's had an abortion? Let's, let's clarify that to the woman who's seeking help after an abortion. Okay. Because if she's still in denial, right. which is the first stage, she's fine. Okay. Um, she might not really be fine, but, but right. in her mindset, she's okay. But these women express this, this grief. They express, uh, oftentimes they've had alcohol, chemical dependency, other issues like that, suicidality. In the months following an abortion, now this is University of Minnesota research that from a long time ago, if teenagers had abortions, they're 10 times more likely to attempt a suicide in those first months. Holy cow. 
but we don't make the connection. No. Okay. Um, you know, this, this sense of who might have been here, this sense of broken relationships. Women oftentimes get involved in abusive relationships because they believe they abuse, they need, you know, they don't, they aren't worthy of someone cherishing them. Mm-hmm. Um, the men, we did two conferences on men. We've done 13 on women over the years, but two on men. And the men were the forgotten numbers here because the assumption is they were forcers. The reality is, yes, some are. And those guys will have many abortions under their belt. And unless there's a St. Paul experience of being knocked off your horse and having the horse walk over you a couple of times, they're they're not going to move. This is about power. But the other men are devastated. They would have put their life in front of a car to stop that abortion. They would have done anything to stop it. Some of them are quiet because they're told to be quiet. Well, it's her body. It's not none of your business. But then later, when he becomes a father, this is an enormous issue. These men get involved in pornography because they're never going to touch a woman again. They get involved in risk-taking behaviors, drugs, alcohol, rage. Okay, sometimes these guys just explode and you'll get this tragic event of her being murdered or whatever. These are men who sometimes are the ones who are, are attack abortion clinics. Okay. And we don't want to, you know, politically, we don't want to say what's behind it. But you hear their stories. There, there was there was cause here, all right? Yeah. And I'm not saying that's a good thing to do in any way or shape or form. No. I'm just talking about the symptomology that we might see. Right. But so we have the men and the women, and we have the men who sometimes wonder if there was an abortion because they hear, see symptoms later and go, I wonder, I wonder if my old girlfriend, fiancé, whatever, had an abortion. Right. Sometimes they find out, and this this was one of those funny stories, but I, I, was, I was in a hotel in Virginia, and got this prompting to go to the bar. I don't go to bars by myself, all right? I'm sitting there reading, and a man at the next table said, oh, are you, are you a speaker? Are you a writer? I said, so I say, no, you know, I'm a speaker, and I can keep you at bay for a little bit. And, uh, he said, what do you talk about? And I said, well, women and men who have lost their children to abortion, I help them to heal. And very loud, he said, oh, you're pro-life. Can I come talk to you? And he comes with this other man. And he comes and sits at the table, and I'm thinking, well, I'm in a public place, okay. And he said, you know, if I didn't have my job, I'd be burning down clinics. And I'm like... Wow. I say, sir, what is it you do that you'd be burning down clinics and you can't? He said, I'm a police chief in my town, and he's the assistant. Uh, Yeah, okay, good. (laughs) Story, got a girl pregnant in high school, thought her mother forced her to have an abortion. I mean, he was told that. Later discovered he had a daughter, and he had a grandchild. And and he's one of those angry men outside clinics. And we don't understand necessarily who's outside there. Some of those are people with abortion losses. And each story is going to be different. Every story it, it, is different. It, it'll have one thing in common, and that yeah. is we're talking abortion. But each story, the feeling, the history, yeah, the history the, uh, is going to be different. The unfolding is different. And we have to remember that many of the people who work in abortion clinics have abortion losses. And, be, and when you hear that, you, we forget that. Yeah. And then their story unfolds like Abby Johnson or, or Bernie Nathanson, who was one of the founders of the abortion issue sure. in terms of that. And it was Cardinal O'Connor who treated him with respect, yeah. loved him out. He did the, the movie The Silent Scream, which to this day is a profound movie. And then he came into the church. This is Raul Caro, founder of the JP2 Catholic Radio Network. Catholic Radio promotes a sense of the personal encounter. A type of encounter found between a radio host and callers helps to soften up the heart and open it up to receive the word, which is the good news. As a result, 
Hearts are transformed and lives are saved because of Catholic Radio. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio. Now more than ever. Saints are the heroes of the Catholic faith. They serve as examples for all Catholics, showing us how to lead a more satisfying, more spiritual life in communion with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. View our comprehensive documentation of saints who serve as theologians and doctors of the church. It's easy. Visit EWTN.com and click Catholicism. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Prayer is a variety of forms of communication. Sometimes we simply greet one another, hi, how are you? And we say small, short prayers similarly to God. Other times we engage people in deep conversations. Other times we engage our families and family reunions and big meals. Similarly with God, we engage Him in Eucharist and deep meditation as well. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome back to Vatican Insider and part two of my conversation with Vicki Thorne, the founder of Project Rachel and the executive director of the National Office of Post-Abortion Reconciliation and Healing in Milwaukee. Now, Vicki, I have um, a question a little bit on, on a different uh, topic, but see, you speak, you speak to groups and parishes and, and diocesan gatherings and you're a trauma counselor, you're a spiritual director. When you're talking with people, this is the post-abortion part, do you ever talk about Pope Francis's indult at the end of the year of mercy regarding priests being able to absolve from the sin of abortion? Because for Catholics, abortion incurred automatic excommunication, the worst that could, thing that could happen to a Catholic. Now, this was formerly, this uh, absolution, reserved only to the Holy See. Then, throughout the Holy Year, priest could absolve from that sin, and then the Pope extended it forever. So right. is that ever an important or necessary part of your talk with these people? Especially from in other countries. Because in the United States, oh. from the founding of Project Rachel, bishops gave their, their priests as the general faculties to forgive this. The bishops could do that. So in the U.S., bishops have given this permission to priests, and so they are equipped to be able to forgive the sin without going through all the process. So there was a confusion, as a matter of fact, in the United States when Pope Francis did this every year of mercy. Mm -hmm. So we had to explain that where the ministry existed, priests already had this permission right. in the United States. But in other countries, that's not true. No. And now it is true. But so in other countries, most certainly I talk about that. In the U.S., if the question comes up, I answer it. Um, if it doesn't come up, you know, yeah, people will ask that question. Sure. Um, so that's kind of how I handle it. Sure. Now, I also want to look at some of the topics that you focus on in your ministry, in, in Project Rachel, and prenatal loss, obviously, is, is yeah. one of the topics. Well, that's one of the ones, and the importance of knowing that this was a prenatal loss, okay? She was a pregnant woman who lost her child in a traumatic and unnatural fashion. This business I'd mentioned earlier about carrying cells is a big deal. It's incurable, and they're still there, so you can't forget, okay? Um, so, and to understand that if there's been an abortion and if there have been several abortions, there may be other types of prenatal loss that follow. 
And so now I have a miscarriage, I have a stillbirth, that brings up this issue that I might not have ever touched, you know, I've just tucked it away. So we need to be conscious of that. Now, I want to just touch on one thing quickly, just our last question here. I'm working right now on trying to find sisters in second and third world countries who will companion women in terms of these things we're talking about. Um, we have priests who can, you know, provide confession, can walk with her, but they are mission priests. They are have four parishes that are very far apart. Sure. They're not living in the community consistently. So I'm trying to find communities of sisters who will take this as an apostolate. This isn't high-tech psychiatry. This is spiritual direction and, and grief work. And so I'm working on that right now because Wonderful. there's a real need for it. And, you know, I meet people from other countries who go, how can we get help? There isn't the sort of network that we have in the U.S. or that we even have in parts of Europe where there could be a telephone line and there can be a, a website. Oh, sure. There's not accessibility to that. And there's not accessibility to spiritual directors or whoever. Sisters are the logical ones. They're already trusted. Now, obviously, another area is bereavement. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we have to understand that this is a loss. And because the society makes it a, um, a casual medical procedure, for want of a better term, people are always caught unaware. The women, so often you asked about a consistency. Why, why am I feeling like this? Mm -hmm. I was told this would be okay, and I'm so sad, and I don't understand yeah. it. I, that's human grief, and that's normal. It's going to be, you know, people were told it's going to be like a root canal, oh, and yeah. you get or over it. Oh, yeah, surgery, you get over it. Sure, exactly, but this is the loss of a life, and they do know that. And they do know that. Yeah. And and other things happen in your life, too, as God's calling you to healing, where something, you'll see a book, you see a movie, you see something that suddenly breaks, that there's a long period of denial for some people where I'm, I, I just can't think about it. And then God sort of taps you on the shoulder and says, come on, let's talk about this. Yeah. And one of the things I always say to women if they're beginning the, the process of healing, because in our listenership we may have people, um, you know, you say a prayer. And the prayer is, God, I give you permission to heal me. Because oh, it opens the door. You know, sure. there's that, I talk about the fact there's that picture of Jesus at the door and there's no doorknob. Yeah. If we don't open the door... He's not coming in. He can't you know? come in. And, and so that awareness of just saying that prayer. And people talk about the surprise that when something happens then, that's just clearly a God appointment. Yeah. You know, but, but that, that opening of my heart to the possibility of healing. Totally necessary. Yeah. And now, Vicki, it's interesting. You've written about and talked about uh, how men and women are inherently different and yet how they also complement each other. Because you, you talk about the, bi uh, the biochemistry of sex, problems of the sexual revolution. You've researched how people fall in love and bond with each other. Yeah. Well, it's got na many names. One of them is also the biology of the theology of the body. Yes. Um, but, but we have to understand how awesomely we're made. And we live in a society where we're sort of disembodied. It's all in my head. If I'm going to have sex with someone and it doesn't matter, it's just for pleasure. We don't understand. Your body is changed by that. Whatever your intention is, you're made by God to bond. And to really appreciate that men and women are different. If you do brain scans, you can see there's a difference in that brain, okay? And playing with certain toys isn't going to change that, all right? Yeah. Um, but to appreciate that piece and how men tend to be linear thinkers, women tend to be triage thinkers because men were hunters and they had to focus. We we were minding the children and the house and the food and the, all that. So we had to be paying attention to a lot of things. And there's a there are whole long things there. there. There are several of them on YouTube. If anybody wants to look them up, look up Vicki Thorne and Biology, Theology of the Body. But if I can prevent people 
from having to make an abortion choice because they understand how complex the whole sexuality area really is sure. and the fact that when am I most interested in sex when I'm ovulating all right and the males because we give off certain scents they know and they have a biological response well okay I'm more likely to get pregnant then people understand this and I've done this at World Youth Day twice both in Madrid right. and Krakow and other places all over the place people come to me later the young people who've heard me and they'll say I've heard this talk four times why have you heard it four times? Because I hear something different every time. Beautiful. But what they say to me, and they'll give me a hug, John, this is just, it just moves me to tears. You know, that talk of yours, it changed my life. Oh. Hey, <laughs> that okay. is so If graced. anything you and I can do in our very different ministries if you, that changes a life, you that bet. betters a life, that helps a yeah. person, then all of the anguish, the pain, the time, the fatigue, is totally worth it. It's totally worth it, it but is. it's just one of those moving moments, you know. And these are people I wouldn't pick out of a crowd because they were part of a thousand people oh, or something, sure. you know. But, oh, Vicki Thorne, is that you? Oh, yeah. And it's just one of those profoundly moving moments when you know that God God used me in a very powerful way right. to, to touch them and to move them to a new place. Yeah. Well, you and I have had a different discussion even before we see, saw each other today with, with Bill. Um, your data shows that the church's teachings on sexual morality are not outdated, probably never will be, and they have significant the teachings of benefits for the physical, mental, and spiritual well-being of men and women today, so teens and adults alike, right? Oh, yeah. You know, as I do this talk, and I do it for everybody, all right, um, I, I don't do the whole talk younger than ninth grade. Okay. But anybody after. There are people our age, Joan, who've never heard this, and they're just shocked. And women will come up and say to me, I, I didn't know, because if we're on the pill, when we choose a partner, we choose the wrong biological partner for us. When we go off the pill, nature says he's wrong. It kills your sex life, okay? Wow. It lowers your libido, which may never come back, all right? Um, changes your brain. It grows like a male brain. Those are significant issues. How can we as women celebrate... Wow. You know, the, the genius of, of woman when my brain's now growing like a male brain, no offense to men, but they're right, different. Right. Okay? Yeah. Um, you know, the health issues that follow, the, the issues with potentially glaucoma and, and with Crohn's disease and cancer, and the fact that the World Health Organization says that, that the pill is a type 1 carcinogen. Who talks about that? That's a big deal. Yeah. As women, we have a right to know, and the men who love us have a right to know. So this is beyond us. Right. Because it changes the scent communication of pheromones, which is this, you know, we, we, as people are listening to this, going, what the heck is she talking about? But this is well-founded science. And what, what the church has said in terms of our choice and in terms of our bond with one person is so critical in terms of our lives being changed. Well, listen, God bless you. It was Thank a joy you. again to see you in Rome. And uh, maybe someday in one of the countries you've mentioned, I'll come and um, be part of or listen to one of your lectures. So God bless you and safe travels. You. And yeah. you too, God bless you. And thank you for all you do, Joan, because it's so important that people hear what you have to share. And social media allows us to do that. Thank you. And I know a lot of people who follow you, so. Wow. That is <laughs> we good need to you. know. That, that is good to know, and I'm here. So God bless all of us. Thanks. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.